It doesn't take a, uh, a Christian long to realize that the Christian life, uh, that just because you are a Christian, you are not immune from trouble. Would you agree with that? In fact, if truth be told, and we like truth, uh, when you became a believer, you had more trouble. You know? James is helpful to us when he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, we don't like tests. We didn't like them in school, and we don't like them in the Christian life. But it says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, produces endurance. The t- testing creates in you a stability of stick to James tells us. And so, this morning, we're going to look at a, at a wonderful narrative in the Old Testament Scriptures. You know, the Bible tells us time and again that the Old Testament, what we refer to as the Old Testament, is given or written for our instruction. Romans 15, 4, that it was written for our instruction that when we look through the endurance of those that have come before us, we ourselves, Romans 15, 4, we ourselves may gain encouragement. That we can see how God was faithfully working and acting in the lives of those who followed after him. And they weren't perfect, but we see God's faithful hand, and that gives us encouragement. So this morning we're going to uh, look at a message that I entitled, The Man Who Won a War Without Fighting. The Man Who Won a War Without Fighting. And it's in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And we are not going to cover the verses 1 through 30, and I hope that you'll take some time this afternoon and, and read it, uh, the entirety. But we want to mark some things in this passage and make note of how God worked through the life of a man by the name of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Say Jehoshaphat. That's a good name for your next child or grandchild, right? Nickname him Joe, Jehoshaphat. And he was, the, um, he was a king in Israel. And uh, we're going to look at how he responded to a situation that uh, brought on some serious trials and how his trust in God is instructive for us today. And that's going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And I hope that you make note of that or uh, have your Bible or your tablet or your phone or however you access the Scriptures. Now, to give you a little background before we look and break down the passage, Jehoshaphat was basically a good king. At this time in Israel's history, David is dead, Solomon is dead, and the nation after Solomon split in half. They had a civil war, the north and the south. Sometimes it's a little confusing when we read because the northern kingdom is referred to as Israel. We think of Israel as the whole country nation, it is. But in this period of time, the northern kingdom uh, with its uh, headquarters or capital at Samaria is referred to as the northern kingdom, Israel. And the southern kingdom where, we find, where Jerusalem is, is Judah. Okay, 
And so at this time, Jehoshaphat was a king in the southern kingdom. He was the fourth king of Judah. So when I say Judah, just I may say Judah more than southern kingdom, but Judah, that's the southern part of this split uh, nation now that had kind of broken off like in a civil war. Um, he was the fourth king, and his father was, the, uh, was a man by the name of Asa. Asa was a good king. He sought to bring reforms and spiritual reforms and spirituality back to the nation. And Jehoshaphat followed in his steps, and he sought to rule the nation in the same uprightness as his father did. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we have a situation uh, where Jehoshaphat was, as king, was shaken to his core because he received some horrifying news. And the horrifying news, uh, if you have your Bibles open, uh, tells us in verses 1 through 2, and what had happened is these three nations formed a confederacy to come against Judah. And they were about 15 miles from the capital of Jerusalem when Jehoshaphat got this news that essentially the nation was getting ready to be attacked and was going to go into extinction because that of the sudden uh, uh, news that he received. And what we want to note as we break down uh, different parts of chapter 20 is to see the godliness and the response of how Jehoshaphat dealt with this sudden crisis. And so the first observation that I would note, uh, and again, sorry for the screen as these are helpful to have the points on there, so I may repeat them a few times for you to uh, uh, take notes or write it down. But the first thing that we want to note and read about in verses 1 through 4 in seeing how this man won a war without fighting but it was a spiritual war, number one, and it helps us to understand how we should respond in our troubles and trials. Number one is that sudden trials should move us to pray. Sudden trials should move us to pray, should move us to pray. Look with me at the passage in verses 1 through 4. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and with them the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat. So you had these three tribal faction nations, and they gathered together and wanted to come and fight and bring war against Judah and destroy it. Verse 2, some men, his associates, came and told the king, told Jehoshaphat, and they said, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, Beyond the sea, and behold, they are at Hazazon Tamar, which is in, in Gedi. In other words, that's about 15 miles from the capital. Verse 3, now here's what we want to make note of in that first point. Sudden trials should move us to pray. Verse 3, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. You see that? You see how he responded? Sudden trials should move us to pray. Now, he could have had several options. He could have panicked. That's what we do, right? Panicked. It's all over with, right? The world's coming to an end when he heard the news. Um, and uh, call the generals, call the people, and 
uh, everything's going to be over with. He didn't do that. He didn't panic. Uh, he could have responded in anger. Now, what do you figure with anger? Because if you take the time today when you maybe go ahead and read uh, verses 1 through 30 in its entirety, it's a great story. Make note of what precedes that in chapters 17, 18, and 19. Again, Jehoshaphat was a good king. He was bringing spiritual reforms to the nation. He was trying to get them on the right track of God. And so he could have panicked or he could have responded in anger. And the reason I said he could have responded in anger because it's kind of like what we do. We're trying to get our act together. We're trying to do the right thing. <coughs> We're trying to do the godly thing. We're trying to respond to God. We're trying to get our spiritual house in order. And then all of a sudden, what? Bam. Trouble happens. And he goes, could have been, God, what are you doing? I'm doing good things here. I'm getting the nation in order. I'm getting this nation turned back to worship you. And this is how you repay me? Well, he didn't do that. He didn't respond in panic or anger. Or because he was doing such a marvelous job at restoring not just the spiritual life of the nation, but he was also restoring the military power of the nation. And he could have gone into self-trust. He could have said, you know what, no big deal, guys. We've got a military that can match them. We've, got, we've been equipped for war. We're prepared. Call the army out. Let's go get them. He could have just said, look, this is no big deal. We've got it. We're strong. We've got God, God on our side, and we can take care of this. That is not what he did. And again, look at verse 3 in your Bibles. Then Jehoshaphat, he was afraid, but he set his face to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Instead of panicking, instead of responding in anger, self-trust, saying, we've got this, what did he do? He responded in prayer. He knew that he needed to seek the Lord. I wonder what we do when we face, I know what I do, so I don't need your answer, I know what my answer is, when we face sudden trials. This is sudden bad news. You know, sometimes if we see the train wreck coming for a while, we can kind of get ourselves prepared. But it's when things are going well. It's like what happened, what, three and a half, almost four years ago, uh, when on a Monday, thought I had a little indigestion, no big deal, felt great the day before. By two, three o'clock that afternoon, I was in a heart attack. That was sudden I didn't get a memo on Friday and say, hey, Tim, on Monday, uh, FYI, you're going to have a heart attack. doesn't work that way, does it? doesn't work. It's the phone call. It's the doctor's visit where you think it's just a routine checkup. How do you know that when you're over 50, there's no such thing as a routine checkup, okay, right? Can we just get that out of the way? Nothing routine. It's kind of like when you, you, know, you say, well, I hear you're having a little surgery. Yeah, it's little if you're not the one in the surgery, right? So no such thing. So we, we get sudden news that we weren't expecting. What do we do? This is why Jehoshaphat is such a great example. He, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. He could have done a lot of things, but he put prayer first. And he admitted, he admitted publicly that, that he was fearful. But he didn't let it paralyze him. Fear has a way of paralyzing us, doesn't it? Sometimes when things have happened to us, suddenly we go through a period of time where we just can't move or think. 
we're just like paralyzed. I don't know what to do. And we kind of catch our breath, and the Lord brings reassurance. But Jehoshaphat sought the face of the Lord. He sought the Lord. And here's, here's something that you should not forget. Listen carefully. He realized, and this is something we need to take to heart. Jehoshaphat realized that he could do some things after he prayed, but he could not do anything worthwhile before he prayed. Prayer. And prayer isn't just, I lay me down to sleep, my Lord, my soul to keep. You ever heard Tim Hawkins talk about that prayer and what a, you know, I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I die before I wake. You know, that's kind of a scary prayer for a little kid to be praying, right? Uh, now, what did he pray? It wasn't just some reciting prayer. He sought God's face. That means there was relationship. There was intimacy. This, again, where did he go? Where did he go when bad news came? Suddenly, trials should move us to pray. He resisted the temptation to panic. He resisted the temptation to get angry with God. And we need to be reminded that the next time that happens, we need to say, God, I need to seek you. I need to seek you because in seeking you, Lord, I'm expressing my confidence. And in verse 12, we'll skip a little bit here. But in verse 12, we see again this, this attitude, this humility, where he, in the seeking of the Lord, listen to what, what is, is said here. He says, Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? Now here's verse 12, 2 Chronicles 20. says, For we are powerless against this great Horde, the ESV says, this, these enemies, we are powerless against this great enemy that is coming against this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a great prayer. If you don't mark stuff in your Bible, you should mark that. Okay, your Bible's meant to be used and, and uh, mark those things. We do not know what to do, but our eyes on you. That's a great prayer. I may not have used those same exact words, Regis, but I've certainly prayed it. I don't know what to do, but I'm looking to you because all the answers, God, you have. You're in control. And we see Jehoshaphat wasn't worried to admit the humility there. He wasn't worried or, or didn't think it was not politically expedient to admit. Imagine going before the nation. See, we don't like that in leaders. We don't want leaders to tell us, can you imagine the president? Well, should, all right, I well, shouldn't go there. Anyway, but that's going to get me in trouble, all right? But some president somewhere in another time in another galaxy, right? Uh, you know, I remember, now some of you will remember this. Some of you weren't even alive. Um, when Jimmy Carter uh, gave a, a, a talk from the Oval Office, and he, went, he, he, he had a little sweater on, and they call it the Malay speech, and it really, he was just talking about that uh, really the problems of the economy are kind of our fault and things are, you know, bad and kind of like sometimes you hear now, there's not much we can do about it, right? And boy, he was just pummeled for in some ways he was telling the truth at that time in that situation. We don't want leaders to do that. We want leaders sometimes to tell us everything's under control. And you know what? That's okay because sometimes their words can spawn a panic, right? When a leader 
uh, acts like they don't know what's going on or they're afraid or fearful. Well, again, Jehoshaphat, here he is a king of the nation and he expressed his fear, but in the midst of that fear, he expressed his faith in the one who had all things under control. Don't miss that. And that humility, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God responds to humility. See, humility expresses that, that lack of self-sufficiency. God, if you don't intervene here, we're in trouble. We're in big trouble. This is a hopeless situation, and sudden trials should move us to pray. But I want you to notice the second principle in our passage today that I believe is noted here. Secondly, not only should sudden trials uh, move us to pray, but notice secondly, scriptural truth. Scriptural truth should mark our prayers. Scriptural truth should mark our prayers. What do I mean by that? Knowing our great God and His character should mark or be in our prayers. You see, praying isn't just praying words, but it's praying to the one who controls all things. Scriptural truth, and I should say scriptural truth about God should mark our prayers. And we see that example. Again, verse 3, he, called, he set his face to the Lord. And verse 4 is really wonderful because it tells you the condition of the nation and it says something about Jehoshaphat's leadership because verse 4 says that when he called the nation to prayer, called the nation to fast, what did the nation do? Verse 4, it says, All and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. That tells you what God was doing through this king, what God was doing through his father Asa, that, that the nation was moving and he was preparing the nation spiritually because when he called the nation to prayer and fast, they responded. All the cities, all the people gathered. He was prepared. You see, the time to start there's the phrase I remember, I'm trying to remember the uh, author that said this, but it said, uh, start digging, dig your own well before you're thirsty. You know what I mean by that? Before you wait, before a crisis, are you prepared? Are you strengthening yourself in the Lord now? Or are you waiting for the roof to cave in and say, oh, panic time? That's the way we often do. We panic and get real spiritual in about 30 seconds. Right? God doesn't want us to live that way. He wants to live even consistent lives. And I think Jehoshaphat is a great example of this. That word that we see there in verse 3, the word seek in the Hebrew means to trample underfoot, to beat a path to somewhere. What did he do when it says he sought the Lord? He sought after God. He beat a path to God in such a way that it had a passion and a fervency in the way that he sought after God. Because he knew that if God did not intervene, the nation would be destroyed. As you look at this prayer, and I hope you do read the chapter, make note of how the first verses in verses 6 through 9 of this prayer focus on God himself. We're going to look at that in a moment. And the, just the last three verses of this prayer, verses 10 through 12, 
he gets around to mentioning the problem. That's not the way we pray, is it? We, we get to the problem right away. And oh God, we'll, you know, in Jesus' name, right? In Jesus' name, we just kind of tacked that on. No, he knew that they were facing annihilation and his prayer is so God-centered. Notice this, some things in this prayer we want to make note of that how I mentioned how that scriptural truth should mark our prayers. That's the second observation principle. Scriptural truth should mark our prayers. And let's see how this is done in verse 6. Notice God's attributes. Three things. God's attributes. We see how his prayer is steeped in scripture. Verse 6. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not in heaven? That's, that speaks of God's sovereignty. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. God's sovereignty. See, God's sovereignty is something we just kind of tack on as an option. It's the very heart and nature of who God is. As R.C. Sproul said, if God is not sovereign over all things, He's not God. You have a God or a deity of your own creation. (coughs) He says, oh Lord, (coughs) God of our fathers... Are you not in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. That means that God, this God that we worship and this God that Jehoshaphat was praying to was not just some tribal deity of Israel. Well, we got our God and they got their God and they got their God. No, this means that he is God who rules and controls the Ammonites, the Hittites, the Termites, everything. That's just to wake some of you up. He says, are you not in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms and the nations. Look what he says, verse 6. If if you're not looking at this, you're missing some good stuff. In your hand, in your hand are power and might. This is how he starts his prayer. What's he saying? He's acknowledging God. You've got this. In your hand are power and might, so that none, no one, is able to withstand you. That doesn't sound like a panicky man to me. That sounds like a man who has his hope and trust anchored in the very nature of God. So not only does he steep this prayer in God's attributes, but notice also in verse 7, God's actions. God's actions, verse 7. Did you not, he's still praying to the Lord, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? You see that prayer talking about the scriptural anchor is rooted in the very covenantal nature of God when he, when he again, he's not reminding God as though God forgets. He Again, he's reciting and praying Again, to remind himself and others who are hearing this that our hope is rooted in the very unchangeable immutability, the technical word is, nature of God. He does not change. He is a covenant-making God. When he made covenant, that means he is going to be true to his word. And God is reminded. Notice what he says, the descendants, that's us, descendants of Abraham, Jehoshaphat saying, we are your descendants. Remember Abraham, 
your friend? What is he saying? Remember your covenantal commitment. Jehoshaphat reminds, if I could say reminds God, but he's reminding and reciting that they are about, these enemies are about to drive Israel out, not of their possession, but of God's possession. You see, this land that God had given these people was God's possession. So not only is his prayer steeped in Scripture of God's attributes, God's actions, but God's ability. God's ability. He calls attention to God's ability to deal with the problem. Verse 12. I read this earlier, but it speaks of God's ability. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde enemy that is coming against us. And we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but we know that you do. The New Living Translation says, we do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. You see why that's a great prayer? Because it's so rooted in the very character of God. So unlike our self-centered, narcissistic type prayers that we pray. It's rooted in the very nature and character of God and who He is. And that's why one of the greatest things that you can do for your own Christian life is study the nature and character of God. How do I do that? Again, part of it, and not part of it, but it's rooted in being a person who reads their Bibles, who opens Scripture, who understands and studies the great truths of God and who He is. So there's a third Third principle that we want to look at. The first one is that sudden trials should move us to pray. Second principle, if I can find it here in my notes, is that scriptural truth should mark our prayers, verses 5 through 13. And thirdly, notice with me, surrendered trust, surrendered trust should motivate our prayers. Surrendered trust should motivate our prayers. What do we mean by surrendered trust? Those are intentional. Surrendered trust. Sometimes we use faith, but faith, trust is sometimes easier for us to get our minds around. Obedient faith and or trust in our great God should follow our prayers. So we can pray, but if our actions don't support the truth that we just prayed... And that's kind of what James says. Faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. Look at verse 14, 2 Chronicles 20, 14. And the Spirit of the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit of Yahweh, came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, and the son of Juhiel, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. So there was this prophet of the Lord in their midst, Jehaziel, and it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The Holy Spirit didn't come on the scene at Acts chapter 2. In fact, the Holy Spirit 
makes himself present in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. That's where we see the first mention of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit came upon this messenger, prophet of God, inspired by God, and look at what he says, verses 15 through 17. And Jehaziel, a prophet of God, by the Spirit of God, said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. And this is the word of the Lord to you. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle, the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, and this is what he says, verse 16, tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. He's telling them the game plan. And you will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. Verse 17, look at this. Man, don't, don't miss this. The Spirit of the Lord says by the prophet, and you will not need to fight in this battle. Those are the kind of battles I like, right? I like those kind of battles where I don't have to fight. I can stay home and watch it on TV. You will not need to fight in this battle. Because remember what he just said? This battle is not yours, but God's. Some of you should mark that, put, put neon lights around that scripture. You will not need to fight in this battle, but here's what he says. Stand firm. Hold your position. Don't be like jello, wiggling all over the place. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. This is a covenantal keeping God, and it's the Lord says, watch, watch what I can do. Watch. Not only what I can do, but watch what I will do in protecting my possession, my people. Verse 18, <clears throat> when they heard of the word of the Lord, what did they do? What did the king do? What did the people do? Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. That's a prostrating himself. And it says, don't miss this, and all Judah, all Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, everyone fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Now, the, it hadn't started yet. You know, we might worship and praise when it's over and we're dancing through the streets and the enemies have been defeated, right? That's, that's easy to do. What's hard to do it's when the battle hadn't started. And what did they choose to do? They chose to worship the Lord. They chose to worship the Lord. What do we choose to do? Well, I'm going to wait and see if you come through, God, and then I'll, then I'll worship. They worshiped as if the battle was already done. See, that's trust. That's faith. That it was as good as done. Because why? Because God said it was going to happen. 
And the people, verse 21, this is amazing. This is so anti-strategy. Imagine this happening today. Verse 21, people got up the next morning and marched out in the battlefield. And guess who was the first in line? The choir. Now, I've been in some churches with choirs, big choirs, and I'm not sure I'd want all of them out ahead of me in a battle. But do you see something significant here that was, was true of what Israel did when they were walking in, right, in rightness before the Lord? That the emphasis, don't miss this. Some of you, and we were talking about praise and worship. I know some of you struggle with that whole thing. But, but here again, here's another principle. Verse 21, and when he had taken counsel with the people, Jehoshaphat, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. They had to wear their choir robes. And as they went before the army, they went ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. You could just write covenant underneath steadfast love. Give thanks to the Lord for his covenant endures What does that tell you about the primacy of praise and worship to the Lord? What should that tell you about how you and I praise and worship to the Lord? And break the indifference in the way we honor the Lord. The worship. And we're not talking about just corporate worship. That's just not preliminaries. To get to this. No, worship, that's just a tinge of expression of our, of our worship that we should be engaged with all during the week. They put the choir, they put the worshipers in front. And if you read on the rest of the story, it's an amazing story. God gave the victory, no surprise there, because the enemies... What God did was he confused those three nations. So instead of attacking Judah, you know what they did? They attacked each other. Listen, if your enemies are attacking each other, stay out of it. Little tip, little freebie, right? If your enemy is destroying themselves, stay away. Let me give you some quick applications. Five things. These are very quick. Five applications that we can learn from this this morning. I do hope you go back and read it. Uh, Just again, great encouragement. Number one, God wants his people to pray. Real profound. God wants us to pray. Crisis or blessing, he wants us to pray. Jehoshaphat instinctively reflexing, his reflex wasn't to panic or get mad at God. His reflex was to turn to God and say, God, if you don't hear me, I am without hope. He didn't rely on his own self. Kind of when, 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 you know, when things are all broken, then read the, the, the manual. Break the glass in case of fire. That's kind of what we do. When everything else is screwed up and going wrong, then we say, well, well I guess we're, we're just at that point where I guess all we can do is pray. All we can do is pray? That should be the first thing that we go to. That's what Jehoshaphat did. Secondly, God wants us to learn to trust him even during uncertainty. We used to sing a, a song when I was in church. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock 
that is higher than I, that is higher than I. When my heart, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me. You ever heard that song before? Of course you haven't. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, that is higher than I. Anybody ever sing that in a church service? Yeah, a few of us, a few of us elect here. All right, save that. Good, good. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I when my heart is overwhelmed. Thirdly, God wants us to learn to pray prayers that honor Him. We see that so great. And you know what? We see that with Jehoshaphat, exalted the name of God, and then he got to the issue and the problem. We do it in reverse. Reminds us of the pattern that Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6 of what we call the Lord's Prayer, really a disciple's prayer. What's the first half of it in Matthew 6, 9 through 13? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before I ever get to verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, I'm exalting the character and nature of God. Jesus said, this is how you ought to pray. Not reciting those words like a little magic mantra, but the pattern, exalt God who's in heaven and rules over all. God wants us to pray prayers that honor Him. You know how you learn to pray prayers that honor Him? Look at prayers in the Bible. Here's one example. You want to, you want to enrich your prayer life? There you go, chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles. Jehoshaphat gives us a great example. Fourthly, God wants us to learn to obey Him in faith and trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. God wants us to learn. Always, Charles Stanley, something he always says, if you ever watch Charles Stanley, you'll hear it at least every other program. Always obey God and leave all the consequences to Him. Always obey God. Always obey God. And leave all the consequences to Him. God wants us to learn to obey. It's one thing to pray in faith, but it's another thing to stand. And that's what they were told to do, to stand. Fifthly, in the last observation, is God wants us to offer the sacrifice of praise in the midst of our trials. And that what we sang? What was the song, one of the songs we sang you know, today, in the middle of the storm, louder and louder. That's what we sang. In the middle of all hell breaking loose. Stand. Not stand in your own self. Stand. Some of you need this word today. To stand. Stand on the faithfulness of the God of covenant who is faithful to his word. He's not a man that he should lie. Hudson Taylor, pioneer missionary that really opened the door to China. Listen to something he said. Sorry it isn't on the screen, but you can just listen. It's real short. Hudson Taylor, it was a pioneer missionary that in the uh, latter part of, or in the 19th century, he was really the first that opened up the doors to the inland part of China. Most churches and Christian churches in Europe sent missionaries just to the coastal part, Shanghai, Hong Kong, 
but he was the first to take the, the message of the gospel into the interior of the nation. Hudson Taylor trusted God. If you ever want to read something tremendous that will be a great encouragement, find Hudson Taylor's spiritual secret and you can thank me later. Hudson Taylor's spiritual secret. Been around forever. You can find it somewhere. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is what he said. It doesn't really matter how great the pressure is. It only matters where the pressure lies. See that it never comes between you and the Lord. Then the greater the pressure, the more it presses you into the heart of God. You know, I was thinking of another Bible character, and that was Elijah. Remember Elijah at Mount Carmel? And at the end of the day, they had that squaring off, the gods of Baal are God, let him answer by fire. If Yahweh is God, let him answer by fire, by fire. And when it came opportunity for Elijah, he went up to the altar. Remember, it was to answer by fire. And you know what? Remember what he had them do? He had them just soak and drench the altar in water. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the box, but I do know it's hard to light wet wood. Been unsuccessful in doing that. You know what he was doing, Elijah? He was heaping impossibilities on the situation so that God's glory and honor would be that much greater. Sometimes... You feel the heap of impossibilities that are on your shoulder. Hear the word of the Lord so that God receives all the glory, the honor. That God, if you remember what was his words, Jehoshaphat, back to Jehoshaphat. We are helpless. And if you do not answer, we will be destroyed. You know, Jehoshaphat's a great example of the helplessness and hopelessness that we all have without the gospel of Christ. We have a great need. A great need should drive us to pray, but our greatest need is that we need forgiveness and the righteousness of God. We do not have any in and of ourselves. Just as Jehoshaphat prayed his helplessness before God, we are helpless to save ourselves. We are helpless to redeem us out of our own situation. But good, the good news of the gospel is that God has provided our rescue. And that is through Christ. Christ has been given. That if those who would believe upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. But it begins by admitting our helplessness, our inability, regardless of religion, good works, praying to dead saints, religious actions when you were an infant, whatever you are and I are unable to get us out of the helpless condition 
We're all in as sinners before God. We have a righteousness problem. We ain't got none. We need the righteousness of God. How do you get that? You get it by receiving the gift that God has given to us in His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Calling upon His name. Believing in Him. And believing, not like believing, you believe Abraham Lincoln was a president. No, believing means that you put full weight of trust, like Jehoshaphat did, that without your help, I am hopeless. And as long as you remain self-sufficient, that you just want to add a little God under your stuff, you'll forever remain hopeless. We need to come. If you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, received Him as Lord and Savior, trusting in Him, not just trusting in Him, filling out a name on a card, and no, trusting day by day, trusting in Him, that Lord, without you, I am hopeless. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have never done that, you don't have to take a class. You don't have to go to a seminar. You don't have to read a book. Jesus said it's as simple as those who would believe in my name and believe that I am the one that God sent shall have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge you, God, as our only hope. And without you, we are helpless. Lord, thank you for the pattern that Jehoshaphat set in this inspired historical account to remind us that, God, no matter how great the enemy has surrounded us, no matter how bad the news is, no matter how impossible the situation seems, God, that you press in up against us God, so that we would press against you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely, strangely dim in the light of his glory 